Hey, and we're recording. All right. Um, I'm really glad that we're here this morning. Uh, Jimmy, you're at work where it must be a ghost town. Claire, I can tell by the cat thing behind you, you must be at home. And uh, Christine, what is that behind you? That's actually... Is that I have, mirrors? Yeah, because it's a... I'm on the third floor where I've got a steep, um, steep sloping ceiling. Uh, and I put mirrors to make me feel less claustrophobic. But yeah, that's long before I ever thought about video conferencing. That's right. So that's why, like, I'm always a little paranoid about, like, what's on my desk. Or if I lean too far forward, I don't want, like, you know, people to be able to see my underwear or anything like that. Because you're actually <laughs> <looking at> my <laughs> Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh... <laughs> oh, come on. You know, everybody across the world is doing their teleconferences for the most part in their pajamas. Right. I, I got dressed. I'm even wearing shoes. <laughs> it's but, a mindset. Uh, mind <laughs> that's right. That's, that's, we're good. But my, my room is, the room I'm in right now, though, is, is the third floor office slash storage room. So it's, it's kind of trashed. You can see an unfinished door behind me. Um, so I thought we would dive in and just talk about some topics that maybe our faculty are thinking about, maybe they're not thinking about, maybe I'd, I'd like to think folks are not um, panicking or freaking out or having some adverse reaction to the move online, but we got the email this morning that we're going to, we're going to continue the semester online. And I think that there's no decisions beyond the end of the semester. Um, and we can kind of, tackle that as a faculty and as a staff and, and administration when it comes. But I think, you know, I wanted to start with maybe just a, a word of, of advice or, or camaraderie. If you've got something, you know, we just go around the horn, Christine, if you wanted to kind of, if there was something you could say to the faculty sitting at home, assuming they're, they're listening to this or looking for resources or some, some connection, what can we share with the faculty who's considering their course going online starting Monday? I think my my first thing I would want to tell because tell my colleagues is that no one expects them to be an expert in online education at all. I mean, your students only really expect you to know about your content areas that you teach. Everyone knows this was thrown at you. So pretty much anything you can do is going to be helpful. Um, so some I know some faculty really hold themselves to a really high standard of exactly how organized they are in the classroom and all that, and they might just have to throw some of those expectations of themselves out and just make the most of it and don't try necessarily to extend themselves too, too far, but to just kind of dip their toe in the water and, and you know, make sure that their students know that they're there and it's still the same class and they're still going to be learning whatever it is they were supposed to learn this semester. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, Jimmy? Well, of course, um, almost every department has some faculty who is who has been currently teaching online, and um, they should not be afraid to contact any of us if they have any questions. Uh, in fact, I was here, um, uh, I think on on on, Mon on Tuesday, one of my colleagues, older colleagues, was here. Yeah, we tried, and he was setting up his Zoom uh, with the help of. Uh, technology services, and he was able to set up his classes uh, on Zoom. He had never taught online before, but he was able to get everything set up, and he was going to now test and see how it works, because he still actually wants to be teaching. So no one should be afraid to ask any of us who have been teaching online. I've been teaching online for about 11 years, so on different platforms. So we have quite a good number of experience amongst all faculty that uh, we can as well help each other with. That's great. That's great to know. Uh, Claire, you're still there, right? Yep, I'm still here. Um, and I would say to all the faculty, you know, remember you're not alone. Um, there's a lot of support services um, here at DelVal. There's a lot of different departments who are just pulling their boots on and they're ready to help. Um, the library, we're still here. IT, they answered my emails within moments. So, I mean, we're, we're all still here and there's a lot of support out there. Um, you just need to reach out and um, we will try to reach back out to faculty as well to let them know where they can find the support. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, the resources are definitely there. Um, I got my email this morning that my password is about to expire. Uh, so I'll, I'll tackle that next. Uh, but yes, the, uh, the communication with, with IT, 
um, with the Blackboard office with Cindy Renner, who does more than Blackboard, but I was in my head thinking of her as the Blackboard person. Um, and, you know, and, and the other folks in your departments and outside of your departments, the folks you typically see over at the dining hall or around campus or in faculty meetings uh, are definitely there for your, for your support uh, should you need it. Um, but also, you know, uh, for me, I would want to encourage calm. Um, we are a small school. When folks come to open house and when folks come out to visit, the, I think the, the thing that we're known for are the relationships with our students. And I think that as long as we are communicating with our students um, and conveying the same amount of calm, we're definitely going to get through this. Um, we're not trying to create, as, as many of you mentioned, the greatest course right now. Um, we're just trying to, you know, get this done right now. We've got, what, what did we say? We're in, we're in the midst of week nine of the semester. I keep track of the weeks for my student teachers. And, uh, you know, we've got just a, a handful of weeks to go. And uh, I wanted to kind of hit some of the, I hate to use the term best practices. It's kind of become like a, you know, like a poison dart these days. As soon as somebody says best practices, there's some groans and people start, stop paying attention. Um, but I wanted to talk about some of the things that we do uh, that we know has worked. Um, you know, I think for me, giving students digestible chunks of information in a really good sequence is always the first thing that I'm thinking about. Um, a lot of us are used to teaching for an hour and a half. If we came even from other schools or if we still do it now, we may be used to teaching for three hours um, or even longer. Uh, and breaking those sessions down for asynchronous learning is is critical. I think our students and even ourselves can probably handle about 20 or 30 minutes of, of information at a time at the most. And I think that for me, when I, when I think about teaching my class in, you know, discrete packets of 20 minutes, I think that works really well for what I do. Um, and then if a student chooses to string together two or three of them because they're feeling particularly attentive or motivated, that's on them, but the opportunity exists for them to kind of take in the information um, and then do some other things with it. How about other folks? What I know, Jimmy, you've been teaching online already and Christine, um, and Claire, I'm sure you've got something to say about this as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to dip out and you can jump in whoever wants to talk about that a little bit. Anybody? Um, well, I mean, I can go first. I don't have um, a tremendous amount of experience teaching online. I have done a DelVal experience course, um, but I have a lot of experience as a student. Um, I have done a lot of online classes, including doing my master's degree in library science almost entirely online. Um, and I remember that what works, you know, the best is exactly what you have here. Um, asynchronous tends to work best, giving them the information in bite-sized nuggets so that somebody can jump on, do some work, jump off. If they're feeling particularly productive, they can speed through um, a lot of different sections all at once. Um, very self-paced learning is, is very helpful, especially because you don't know what's going on at home. Um, they could have a lot of different things happening and they may only have like two or three hours a week in various bits and pieces to do the work. So the more that you can put them in, you know, course McNuggets, the better. <laughs> um, also, I remember that varied content is um, is very helpful. It, it, just pages and pages of text. Frankly, it's a little boring. Um, but if you can find videos, if you can find images, if you can find um, audio, things like that, to just vary it up a little bit. Um, it, it makes it for a lot better a learning experience. And there are a lot of um, neat resources online to take the content that you're trying to teach, especially if it's pretty standard. Um, chemistry component trying to explain somebody how to use something they, that they have a lot of those videos um, out there on how to do that exactly so that would be the recommendations I have from the student perspective um, asynchronous bite-sized chunks and uh, as varied content as you can that's really helpful I, I would like to um, reiterate what, what Claire said just that um, Variety is important and chunks are important. I'm so glad that you have the perspective as a, of a student as well, Claire. 
Um, I had also done some online stuff as a student, but it was earlier. So um, there were fewer resources. And so a lot of times you saw teachers kind of making their own almost platforms sort of. So it's really good that we have students at least at DelVal, they're all, or they should all be familiar with Blackboard and they've also seen it used in many different ways because we don't really have like a standard template for teachers to use at DelVal. So um, I think one of the things that we can do is manage students' expectations early on, kind of let them know what to expect from each of us. Because as Dave, as you said, it's the relationship with the teachers. Our personalities are interwoven through our classes all the time, whether they're face-to-face -face or online. And don't be afraid to do that. Just because it's online doesn't mean you can't put, you know, a picture, you know, a picture of a sign that you saw or anything that just kind of a, a quote or anything, the type of thing you might mention or open class with, that makes it so that they have that same feeling that it's the same person that they saw a few weeks ago in the classroom. Um, but letting them know what to expect, because I think, I think our students are going to be having very different experiences from each teacher. So if one is doing one thing and another is doing another thing, they might get angry because they liked the one way better than the other, or they don't, you know, they expected all the teachers to be doing the same thing. Um, I sometimes feel like I should change, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I should change my name to Siri because I'm like on-demand education, you know, hey Siri, what's my homework today? Um, so telling them ahead of time kind of what to expect and how you're gonna be doing it might really help them, help them know. Yeah, one of the things that um, I do in my courses here online is uh, I kind of already write out a course calendar for the whole of the semester or like now for the for the second half of this semester. Outline with kind of uh, um, expected due dates of assignments and what lessons to do when. And I, I urge the students to print them out because that would be their guide to help them manage their time properly because in the online time management is key if they, if they, if you don't manage your time properly because you're at home or oh, before you know it the weeks will be passing by and the semester will be over and you have not done any work so i i write this up front and i encourage them to print it all the due dates are online on the course calendar and the lessons they have to do every week of course, uh, with the uh, asynchronous uh, method, uh, I was kind of lucky. I got videos of about four, four minutes or three minutes for each concept. And so for each week, they just have these chunks of little videos that they have to uh, listen and watch and then with some practice, you know. And so it will be good if um, if someone is looking for online resources, they can go to their publisher's uh, website or their textbook website. They have a lot of these resources available. It will be easy, it will be possible to get uh, these videos. I got all the videos from uh, Pearson, you know, uh, for four minutes on each concept. So a student can listen to or watch maybe uh, four or three videos at a time depending on uh, their availability. Yeah, so if we don't have this already, since some of us, some people have not been teaching online, go to, they, I urge them to go to their publisher's website and look for online resources. They might be surprised how much resources they will see on those, on those websites. And yeah. um, to piggyback off of that, Jimmy, um, our electronic resources librarian, Karen, is actually already cultivating um, a bit of a list of things that have newly become available, actually, um, because of the COVID-19 crisis. A lot of publishers and um, textbooks and video places online are now offering free services or some free content. Um, some of the things she's found so far, as I was talking to Christine before we started recording the call, um, Cengage has opened up ebooks. Um, Elsevier's Science Direct has opened up virtually all of their ebooks. Um, so you can use, you know, portions of those. Um, the Jove uh, Science videos, I don't know if you're familiar with those. There's a ton of those that you can use to have those, those concepts. Um, so, I mean, it's a bad situation, but there's a lot of content that wasn't 
freely available that is available now. Um, so maybe we can take advantage of those and um, help make the transition easier. That's great. That's great. I mean, we, we, we have to adapt in, in every way, you know, so just picking up the phone and calling the library is not as simple as it was, or even walking over to the library and browsing around, um, or in some cases, folks never use the online library resources. Um, I, I'm guilty of that myself. I, I still go back to, you know, uh, other resources I have available before I look into the library. So knowing that that, um, that curating is in process now is helpful. But also, as Jimmy mentioned, you know, these publishers, if, if those resources were not already available, many of them are making them available. Um, and it's, I've, I'm always surprised when I do go online to look up resources for a textbook I'm using, how many supplementary resources are available, whether it's videos or outlines, and in some case, even lecture outlines or course outlines that are helpful to the development of, of courses or rewriting courses. So that's, that's all good to know and I think helpful for our faculty. Um, in terms of those resources, you know, we talked about the idea of it being in small chunks that our students can, can take in and digest at their own um, self-paced uh, approach. Um, I think at, at one point or another, we all mentioned the term asynchronous. And uh, again, the, the dirty word best practices. Asynchronous learning in this kind of situation is best practice. I know that some folks would love to you know, log on to a Zoom meeting, send out the link to their students at 925 every Monday and Wednesday morning and meet with their students. But it's important for us to, to keep in mind that everything has changed, not just, not just the school, um, the execution of kind of our duties as, as educators. Um, I've had students contact me saying, you know, their job is asking them to change their schedule because a lot of folks uh, who previously traveled to and from work um, can't do it. So they need, you know, they're in a, they're in a, a high need position and they need to work extra hours or change their shifts. Um, you've got folks, you know, we've all got kids at home right now. Uh, Jimmy has managed to escape his, um, but I've got an 11 and a six running around downstairs. And if this microphone were just a little louder, you'd be able to hear them. Um, so we've, we've all got our, you know, our things to do um, and our students are no different. So, um, if you can manage async, you know, that's not to say if your students are all in agreement, you know, I would say go for it. They'd love to see your face um, and hear your voice. I think that, that that really does help to to drive home our initial discussions about keeping things calm and the relationships uh, connected um, as we do with our students. Um, but keep in mind that asynchronous learning is is perfectly fine. I, you know, it's, it's not, uh, I think if you're if you're my age or older, you remember the Sally Struthers, you know, commercials on TV for, for distance learning. It, it's not that, you know, it's, um, we, we've got, we've got real resources these days and uh, asynchronous learning is, is very acceptable and encouraged in most online situations and particularly in emergent online situations. Um, but Can I, I wanted to, yeah, yeah, please. About that? Um, I know for some faculty, they feel like, they don't know how to make it asynchronous or they're worried that that'll make their students just dis too disconnected or something. And so if they really feel like they want to do that or need to do that, um, I suggest that maybe they set up a zoom with only a few volunteer students and record it like it's a regular class and then yeah. let the rest of the students view the recording. So they could still have some of the, like if they usually have, I don't know, icebreakers or some sort of interaction that usually happens in the classroom, they could do it on a smaller scale, but then make it available asynchronously to the rest of the class. So it still has the same feel as it transitions to a more asynchronous option. I think the students are all going to expect to be able to complete their courses asynchronously because of the circumstances. So I don't think it is going to be possible to truly expect synchronous meetings as a requirement of the students. Yeah, what I, yeah. Think. I, I agree. It, 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 in another, at another university, when I, whenever I taught online, um, and actually even, even now if I teach online at, at DelVal, uh, you know, I post when I'm going to be recording my class, uh, but I don't require that time. Um, and in some cases, you know, I have to admit the students who can attend do get a little more out of it. So I've been rethinking that, but I haven't had the opportunity to make the decision about it just yet. Um, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, that's, a, that's a great way to do it, uh, to get some of that interaction, to get some of that, um, 
I tend to believe that you're most available and most conscientious students are going to be the ones who get there. So it could be, it could lead to a little bit of, uh, of inequity, but I, I'd like to think that that's less the case in our situation, but uh, it's definitely something to be, to be sensitive to. They're, that's um, probably the case in the classroom as well. That's probably the case in the classroom <laughs> as well. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that. Um, the other, the other topic I wanted to hit was the idea of both differentiating our instruction and differentiating our assessment. Um, we talked a lot about existing resources. Um, and I would say, you know, in that sense, don't feel like you're selling yourself short. If you kind of feel like all you're doing is curating existing, you know, artifacts. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Claire, you could probably speak to this better than I can um, in the sense of, of, of being a librarian. Um, There's no cop out in seeking and finding great resources in place of some direct instruction. Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't write all the books in the library. (laughs) Wait a minute, what? No, that wasn't me. (laughs) But no, I mean, uh, finding a good quality resource in, in, in my opinion is just as good as having made it yourself, um, you know, and, and giving the nod to, to the folks who did make it um, is, is important. So you can definitely pull together some quality resources. Nobody will think less of you um, to take this uh, complex science concept and find this amazing four minute video that explains it. Um, better than, you know, perhaps you felt you could have done and put that in your course. Because, you know, if, if the student understands it, y- you did your job um, and you found a quality resource. So don't be afraid to use that. People do it all the time. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of what we do at the library. We help you find um, those quality resources to help supplement um, what you're already doing uh, in the classroom. That's great. That's, I mean, that's, that's a great piece of encouragement because I definitely feel, you know, if, if somebody were to come to my class, a live classroom, and I would say, look, okay, everybody just watch this video and read this article. I'll be back in 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> that might seem a little strange, but, um, you know, in the online world, it's, it's actually not so strange. Um, not at all. In fact, there's an incredible amount of educational videos, even just on YouTube. I mean, you don't have to go through these um, these educational platforms um, if you don't find what you want there. I've actually, I subscribe to quite a few very interesting um, YouTube channels that their entire viewership is educational and, and they put together these really great concept videos. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, I would say, don't be afraid to use all of these sources because you're no less of a teacher for having done so. Literally everyone does it. Right. And, and, you know, this, this is the way the world works. <laughs> and and, and it, it makes for a good class. It makes for that varied content that helps to keep the students engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to agree with Claire. Um, I, think, uh, I think online we serve a slightly different role. We're, we're expected less uh, to necessarily instruct, but we're more like curating and facilitating for a student learning process because the they especially now there's so many resources being thrown at them they probably don't know how to filter it or take a path through the content to to get to a meaningful end at the at the end of the course exactly but our expertise can be drawn on to do that by you know um, just sometimes finding the resources um, assigning them at the appropriate time maybe writing a brief little I mean on out on blackboard a lot of times I put like a little brief thing about why, so, you know, what roles a, a, an article or something has in it or, you know, why I picked it. And so then they're not wading through the sea of information and unable to come out with something meaningful at the end. So I really don't see us as instructing as much online as more curating and facilitating. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all great advice. Um, and also, you know, I would throw out that I like to provide a lot of resources and I, I don't feel particularly married to those resources. If I provide five or six or seven things for a student to utilize to learn about a concept and they only end up using two or three or four of them, 
you know, I, I, I try not to take that personally, you know, like here's a great video and nobody watches the video uh, or here's some notes or an article I provided and I say, Hey, okay, who read the article and nobody read the article. Um, you know, that's kind of the point of differentiating that, that those, those resources. And that is to provide the ones that connect with, you know, uh, you know, learning profiles are, are, are essentially garbage, but you know, if I would, if somebody would rather watch a video than read an article, who am I uh, to judge that? If unless unless it doesn't work, you know, then then we've got some some other types of intervention that we might want to jump into. Um, but also, uh, I wanted to jump over from differentiated instruction to something that gets a little less play, and that's differentiated assessment. Um, what are you doing, or what would you recommend folks do to assess? mastery of course material in a way that's not just equitable but reflects maybe some of the 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 freedoms we have in the classroom well some of us uh, i've basically been running my classes almost the same as i'm running right now because all our homework was done in my lab mat mm -hmm. uh, all quizzes completed there uh, before every test i have a practice test and I used to give the students the option of taking their test online. The only difference was that uh, they will actually come to class with their laptops and then complete the test online. But right now, the only thing I would do now is the test is on a fixed date and it will be open during the whole day and they still have the same one attempt. So basically, uh, for people like us, I don't think I'm really making much uh, a difference in the way I'm assessing my students. Mm -hmm. And the only uh, new difference that is coming in now is those courses that we're having supplementary instruction. So then supplementary instruction now is becoming a discussion forum assignment mm -hmm. where the students now will post their solutions and the supplementary instructions instructors will be monitoring and assisting them with the solutions of course, all this now on my, under my direct supervision, I will now have access to all their supplementary instructions because I will, I will be able to monitor it and, uh, and jump in whenever I see that something is not uh, being done right. Uh, what students require from us is we should be able to respond to their questions promptly. So if a student post uh, uh, has his or her solutions, and I see the SI instructor is not jumping in, I'm going to jump in. So the students should not think that they are kind of just doing it on their own. There's nobody around. Because mm -hmm. the students in the online environment, they need to know that there's somebody present. There's somebody working with them. But if they post and nobody responds for one or two days, it will be like, oh, there's nobody available. But you see, I have a turnaround time of 24 hours at most. And I've always got my students comment that, wow, they have not had an instructor who responds as quickly as this. Because sometimes they, they, they submit, and in less than 30 minutes, I happen to be online, I respond right away. Yeah, so prompt response to students' needs is key to maintaining them in the classroom, making them you know they have to come back in and see what is going on. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's really great advice. I think when we are in our offices and students can just pop in or when we hang out after class a little bit for student questions, replicating that in the, in the asynchronous space or in the online space can make our students feel very uneasy. And they come from, you know, unless they've been a Dell, you know, if they're juniors or seniors, they've been around for a while. That's one thing. But, you know, I've had, I've had students you know, they don't get a response to an email and then I get a, I get a, you know, an email from my Dean. So-and-so stopped by, they said, you never respond to their email. And I think, well, that's silly. Oh, you get a second email from them. Yeah. I sent you an email before. Have you, did you see it? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, students are going to do what students do. Um, and I think Jimmy, you nailed it. When you, when you tell your students what your plan is for responding, you know, if you set up a discussion forum and you have no intention of intervening unless something crazy happens, you definitely want to tell your students that. Because otherwise, you know, you'll get to about midterm 
and it won't be your A's and B's students. It'll be your C student who says, well, you never respond to my forum posts. Um, so I think setting those expectations up and following up with those expectations. If you can't get to a post in 24 hours, definitely don't tell your students you respond within 24 hours. Can I make um, a suggestion yeah. about that? I, I'm Please. sorry. Um, just that I, in, in Blackboard, you can subscribe to the forums. So you can be emailed whenever somebody posts to one. So if you do have a forum where they're expecting interaction with you, you can subscribe yourself to it and then you get an email pushed out to you telling you that student posted to that. Um, I use that for a specific discussion in each of my classes, but then the peer discussions, I do pretty much stay out of and I tell them these are peer discussions and I have assignments where they have to guide each other through stuff. But um, knowing what to expect in that one forum, they know I'm going to get back to them really fast and in the other, they know this is the group, the, the classroom space. It's like I'm on the other side of the room and they're working in a little cluster in the classroom kind of. Mm -hmm. And I would only really intervene if they raise their hand and said, hey, I have a question. What do you want us to do with this? Um, but that expectation—that's what I mean about like managing expectations, because it might be totally different in different classes. Sure, sure. Um, so wrapping up, wrapping up that idea of of differentiation, we mentioned you know instruction. I think I think lots of folks are doing those types of things already. Uh, but there's plenty of resources available out there, and obviously any of us. Um, but you can probably Google you know differentiated instruction in quotes and add higher ed or add your content area and find lots of, uh, of non-K-12 uh, examples or, or discussions about that. As far as, you know, differentiating assessment, you know, Jimmy talked about having quizzes and, and tests and things like that. Um, there's, some, there's some activities in class, whether it's labs or, you know, in our case, it's actual practice where we go out in the field and we observe our, our pre-student teachers each semester, um, we get feedback from the teachers they visit about the work they're doing. We get a response uh, and reflection uh, papers written back from them when they go out each uh, each week. There's There's got to be a variety of ways for students to demonstrate their mastery. I always tell my students a, a story about a, a high school senior who was failing her history course, and the, the teacher came to me and said, you know, when she discusses the work in class and when she did her presentation, she knew this inside out and backwards. She did it great. And, but she failed the course because she couldn't pass the, the pencil and paper test. And he said, she knows the work so well, uh, but she can't pass the test. And I said, well, if she knows the work so well, then your job is to give her the grade based on what she knows, not based on how well she can demonstrate it in one way or another. Um, and it's not, you know, that's not rock solid advice. And that's not perfect advice. But I think that oftentimes we will have a student who does not appear to perform well in class, but does well on a test, uh, vice versa. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into the, the good test taker, bad test taker myth that's out there. But there's definitely a range of students that we get at DelVal uh, who can demonstrate mastery of the content in a variety of ways. And I think that Ultimately, the professor has to trust themselves as the, as the gatekeeper in some ways, as the best judge, that if someone can demonstrate that material but just can't manage to put it into a 10-page or 20-page research paper, then you've got to ask yourself which of those is, is, the, is the valid measure of, of their actual content mastery. So um, I don't know if anybody has any comments about that. I mean, Jimmy, your, your stuff seems pretty, pretty demonstrable, pretty locked in. But you know, yeah, maybe you've got other ideas for every about that. Quiz, there's there's what we call a study plan. This technically the students qualify. They have to qualify before they can actually take a quiz. So the study plan is where they actually practice mm -hmm. and they validate up to a certain percentage. And I will go in. When I go in and I see how much you have been practicing, uh, even if you didn't get the qualification, I'm going to I waive it for you. But I need to see you actually practice. I wave it, and then you can do the quiz because the quiz will also help to update your study plan grade. Mm. Yes. So, because some students complain, you, you need to get 80% yeah. of the multiple qualification quizzes in the study plan before you can actually take the real quiz. Yes. So, I do give them, I do go in and I check and I see, I said, the goal is for you to practice. If I see that you have actually been practicing, I'll wave you the prerequisite, and now you can move on to take the real quiz. Mm. 
and the quiz will also help improve your study plan grade. I don't actually have homework. Yes, that study plan is like homework. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like homework. That's great. And I'm sure, I'm sure faculty have other ways that they go about doing these things. Um, you know, but I, I, I think that from the beginning, what we've been stressing is, you know, it's, it's, it's you knowing your students and being able to adapt and be agile uh, when it's appropriate. Um, also, you know, I wanted us to take a minute to talk about some of the resources, you know, way outside of DelVal. You know, I think about, you know, I live, I'm in West Philly and there's a park at the end of our street. And schools are closed, you know, so if I were a student right now and needed to observe a classroom for a particular purpose, right, for my ed educational psychology class, I'd be out of luck. But, you know, we were in the park yesterday and there's probably a dozen or more families. It's a big park. And you can observe, you know, just kids interacting and doing things. You know, most, most learning happens outside of the classroom anyway. You know, so I, I want to encourage us to talk a little bit about the types of resources that are, you know, homebound resources, neighborhood resources, um, and online resources that we can tap into. Um, you know, maybe we, maybe we've got something to say about that. Maybe we don't. Anybody want to jump in? No. Anyway, I have a committee meeting. I mm -hmm. might be jumping out very soon. We have a committee meeting in uh, the coffee house. Oh, cool! Enjoy that. So I might be jumping out. So I will. I will meet you guys later. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, Hi, Jimmy. Uh, bye. Thank you, Jimmy. No problem. <laughs> um, as far as um, external resources, I mean, not to keep belaboring the point, but there are public libraries, <laughs> and they have <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of online resources that um, that we actually don't have. So I know. Um, uh, David, you were talking about uh, Canopy to me earlier in an in email mm -hmm. um, where we're investigating that, but um, there are a lot of public libraries that actually have streaming services and um, educational videos. There's lots of things going around that are trying to take everything virtual specifically because of this crisis. Um, I've even seen for little kids, they have like virtual zoo tours. So... Google it. There, there's a lot of different um, ways for you to get access to content and for you to explore the world without leaving your house. Um, so maybe there's ways that the faculty can adapt, um, you know, all these, these circumstances to their advantage. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, for my online, I've always thought of this anyway for online instruction, you know, that it doesn't necessarily, even like so-called experiential learning doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, all together doing something together. And I have an assignment that I'm going to have to change now where the students have to go visit a Walmart and a Sam's Club and compare <laughs> how the same company um, serves two different markets, you know, like the small business market is served by Sam's Club and the, the regular consumer, you know, price sensitive consumer is served by Walmart. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that because I can't send them out to the <laughs> stores now. But I've already been thinking about how to change that to you can still make those same determinations by looking at the websites of the two, you know, the two different arms of the same company and stuff like that. So I'm just going to have to modify it. So they're still looking for the same types of distinguishing characteristics, but they're just going to have to look at it in a different way. And that does kind of turn their their world, whatever their world may be today, into a classroom or into a lab for them. Yeah, yeah. We, um, in, in educational psychology, we finished the semester with, you know, with a final exam and, and, and a variety of other assessments, but we also, um, we do a research paper. And over the years, uh, seeing that some students are a little more readers- reader focused and some students are a little more research focused, you know, that assignment has adapted into the option of a, a research paper, a critical research paper or an annotated bibliography. And that annotated bibliography has morphed into, you know, an annotated bibliography website and seeing how the students themselves come up with these ideas, you know, these are spurred on by student responses to assignments. And I think that that's, that's something that is worth considering. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of additional work. So, you know, I'm saving myself a couple hours in the car every day uh, that I can allot to doing some other uh, prep preparation. Uh, but something that we can consider going forward, um, 
not just in this, you know, final weeks of this semester, but in semesters going forward, as you know, some folks may, may get a kick out of this and really decide that they want to try to teach online um, in the coming semesters. But, um, you know, having our ear to the ground for our students and seeing the resources they have available to them in their communities, um, alternative uh, methods of demonstrating their mastery of course material or alternative assignments. Um, you know, I have always shared with my students, if you, know, if you don't wanna do a midterm, but you've got a way that you think you can demonstrate the material otherwise. I've never had anybody take me up on that. Uh, but I, uh, one time I had a student who, who did a community activity instead of a final exam and it turned out really, really well. Um, I think that, you know, we kind of end where we start, which is, you know, in our relationships with our students and with the, the greater community that we're in at DelVal and beyond. Um, I think we're, I think we're going to do great. Uh oh, I think we've got a visitor. Oh, is it Stephanie? It's Chick. It's Chick. Hi, Hello. Hey. Sorry, I'm late. <clears throat> oh, that's all right. How are you doing? You know, <laughs> I'm still above ground. How about everybody else? Oh, I guess I'm above ground too. I, Muddling I didn't realize we set the bar that low. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always do well by that standard, I guess. Or for the yeah, so far, so good. Yeah. Good. I won't ask what I missed. That's my fault for not getting here earlier, but... Oh, that's all right. We were just, you know, I, we were we were kind of finishing up where we began, which is, uh, you know, with our relationships with our students and maintaining the connection and the calm that's going to get us through this semester. And I didn't know if you had any um, any general input for faculty who may listen to this and say, well, I, you know, I'm still a little nervous. I'm still a little bothered, you know, and I think it's okay to be annoyed having to do this. <laughs> right. Um, let me see if I know what I'm doing here. I'll share my screen. I think there's some interesting data I just got. I don't know if you guys can see this. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yep, we can of see the, it. Of the people that I surveyed, and I, I only this semester teach two advanced classes, one junior, one senior level. And of the people I surveyed, there was a very large percentage of people that have not yet replied. So they got two days, um, but they should know. Uh, at any rate, they pretty much all have reliable internet. They all pretty much have some way to access it. But my big problem is, is that a lot of people don't have their textbooks or lab books home with them. Oh, mm. So yeah. that's Embryo. And this is the other class. Um, can you see now I've changed to a different? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. He's got to bring those into right. the middle. So. Yeah, can you right. So in histology, it's the same thing where I have a too big a, a fraction that's not replying. Uh, and I also have the problem that a lot of people don't have the textbook or the lab book with them. Mm. So I think that's something that people need to be mindful of. Um, I was thinking it would be better than that, but unfortunately not really. Uh, so... Yeah, just I'm putting that out there. Uh, I have the survey if anybody wants it. Like I've got it as a file and I can post it somewhere. Um, I think that I should have probably revised it to say, if you purchase the textbook, do you have it <laughs> with you? Because there's that population too, but I didn't. That might be a great thing to share on the Blackboard, the RT101 in one of the discussions there. Okay. That is kind of an obvious, you know, it's an obvious but not so obvious question we need to start with is mm -hmm. you know, how well, how well set up are you? Do you have the infrastructure you need to do this? Um, and um, I don't think I saw anything, at least not faculty, you know, I don't think I saw a resource like a survey on that, on that um, Blackboard course yet. So I bet a lot of us would love to use that since you've already done that work to just okay. pull it out. That would be great. Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, that's a that's a great consideration that, you know, I, it didn't even cross my mind. At some point, it would have when I started assigning work and students said, oh, I don't have this, that, or the other. You know, I, I'm not entirely surprised that you got no responses from some students because, you know, I think the email they got was that this is part of an extended break. Right. But, uh, you know, but come Monday, when that student opens their email and says, oh, <laughs> 
Do I have Holy my materials? Moly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a student, I had a, an adjunct send me an email because a student of hers has been using uh, a textbook on reserve in the library. Mm. And what can we do uh, right. to support this student? And, you know, we were able to support that student, but uh, not everybody can. And, uh, you know, there's a discussion on a, on a, on a Facebook group for, for online teaching right now that just popped up where folks were talking about what they can do going online. And, and one of the options is simply to find one of the publishers that has an online textbook for free and try to adapt, try to, to kind of make an agile move to a Cengage book or to a Wiley book or something that students can use. And as I mentioned a little earlier, that's a lot of work, you know, it's yeah. work for somebody, mm -hmm. you know, when students of mine used to say, Hey, I can get a, an older edition for, for cheap. My response was, well, it's up to you to get the page numbers, right? <laughs> um, but in this, in this case with a student at home for the next several weeks with no textbook, um, we may have to share that load of, of figuring something out. So good luck to you, chick. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, Claire, you might have the answer to this. I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not even going to try to play one on this webcast, but um, do you know if like if a student owns the textbook, but they don't have it with them, is it a violation of copyright if someone shares their pages with them then? Because don't they have like a legal right to that content, but they're just physically unable to get to it? Like, could we photocopy or scan the pages and send them to that student knowing they already own, quote unquote, own that content? Don't quote me. Um, I am not like a copyright master. I'm happy to go online and find the answers for everybody. But to my understanding, where copyright comes into place is when you are posting it for mass audiences. Mm. Um, so no, you can't take an ebook you got off of Science Direct and upload it to Blackboard. No, you can't scan an, most of a textbook and then update, update it to um, Blackboard. And you can't share, you know, paid content between one another. Mm -hmm. However, um, anything that Delval currently owns, like um, our our Science Direct eBooks or um, articles that you find online, um, the students could probably share them amongst one another. And maybe, like, if Christine, you had a student who didn't have access to this particular chapter, you could send that particular chapter to them. Um, so, so there's some flexibility. Um, in terms of helping them get some of these resources, we just can't, you know, take the whole oh, kit yeah. and caboodle and upload it there. Um, other other ways around this is I know in the email earlier, um, they were figuring out how to arrange people to retrieve their items from oh. campus. So if they, it's literally just an issue of, uh oh, I left for spring break, everything went downhill and now my textbook is locked in my dorm room. Um, you know, you can reach out and we can figure out how to get there. I think they're directing people to Andrew Moyer. I have to, I don't have the email up in front of me. Um, but there's that. Um, we as a library are, are figuring out how we can extend services to our physical items while still maintaining that distance. So we're looking into that. Um, so, you know, any questions in that regard, contact the library. Um, and then there's also the possibilities of faculty just searching online to see what um, materials would cover the same subject matter that would be free and, and, and available to post. Um, so maybe you have this textbook, but the same concepts are in a completely different textbook. You, you could utilize those um, instead. Yeah, that's good to know. That's good to know. I've, I've heard stories of, of libraries that at you know, well-staffed, overly-staffed libraries at, at larger universities copying two chapters at a time and putting them on electronic reserve. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure somebody knows something about somebody and how, how all that works, but. Um, yeah, we have to tread carefully. because We tread don't, carefully, sure. We, a lot of libraries um, actually manage the electronic reserves for their mm -hmm. university. So there's sure. a completely different portal in which they go through. Um, we do not. We don't have electronic reserves. Um, that's all through Blackboard. But I did see on Blackboard, uh, I think it was Cindy or Tanya had actually put a whole bunch of copyright, 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 what you're allowed to do. Mm. So um, I can go um, double check that against what I already have in my files and figure out um, what guidelines 
um, to synthesize into something small for you guys um, that might help um, you guys to figure out how to get around this particular problem. Yeah, I think a lot of folks try to slip that in, in under fair use. And as a as a as an artist and uh, and former classroom teacher, I would say you know the, the the rule of thumb for fair use is if you're asking the question, is it fair use? It's not fair use. <laughs> Um, the example I give is, you know, you're on the train on your way to school reading the newspaper and you find an article that would be perfect for class that day. That would be fair use. If you want to use that same article tomorrow, it's not fair use. <laughs> so, um, Pretty good school thought. Yeah. yeah, it's not terrible. I mean, but generally, no, if, you, if, you, if you're asking yourself, I wonder if this is okay, then I think your answer is kind of no. <laughs> And you may find someone who either has the rights to those things or like yourself, Claire, you've got a, a better pulse on what, uh, what is uh, available for, for copy or for sharing than, than a lot of folks do. But I think that oftentimes we get overly caught up in the legalities, and I'm not saying that we should ignore the legalities, um, but we could think a little more creatively about how, how we do some things. And that, that type of of attitude towards creativity and towards flexibility is, is going to be the one that's going to get us through this. Um, you know, uh, at, at the gym I go to, there's a big sign that says, leave your shoes and your ego at the door. And I think that that's kind of the, I don't know about your shoes, but I mean, that's kind of the, uh, the attitude we're taking going forward. You know, we're definitely in this together. And uh, even the, the, the conversations we've had uh, this morning and, in, and, and earlier in the week, I think are, are hopefully indicative of the, the, the attitude and the, the, the nature of the faculty going forward, um, knowing that folks are here for the resource, both within the, the committee and outside the committee, I think is going to be helpful. Um, if it's all right with everybody on the committee, when you're available, I'd love to keep this up because, um, you know, bringing people in, you know, maybe we can invite some faculty in who have done some cool things or would just like to talk about what's working and what's not working. Um, almost like a little a little podcast or a video series. I think it, it's it's helpful just to stay in touch. You know, I, I would normally see a lot of you around campus or in a faculty meeting or at um, you know at the lunchroom or something like that, or maybe in the library if I happen to get lost on campus somewhere. Um, we could give you that information. <laughs> How to get back? Professional development meeting. <laughs> We're in a professional development meeting. I was I was lost somewhere on in Mandel one day, and I wound up in Ed Sambrisky's office. And he looked at me, and I said, "I don't know how to get out of this building." <laughs> and he helped me, and I made it. And here I am today. Um, I'm going to turn the recording off, if, unless anybody has any any pithy statements they wanted to share. I don't know about pithy, but I do want to put a plug in for that Blackboard course that Cindy and Tanya worked so hard to put together for everybody. Um, I really think it's a great place for people to convene. They really did put together some great things for people coming in at, at, at any level. And they did also put a link for faculty to connect with faculty and there's some mm -hmm. discussion boards and stuff. So I think it's a really central, a central point of communication for, for everyone. Um, well, that's great. That's great. Maybe we can jump in on that a little bit. Great. Well, I'm going to hit stop. Thanks for listening, folks. Mm -hmm.